Hello and welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm a husband, a father, and an entrepreneur. My name's Melissa, and I am a wife, mother, former nurse turned real estate investor. And we believe the greatest gift you can give your child is a last name that stands for something. Your last name is your family's brand. If you are a parent who wants to raise your child to know who they are, love who they are, and believe in who they are, this show is for you. We promise to bring you real and authentic conversations with parents and experts who are committed to making their family their life's most important work. This show will help you take a stand for your family and to raise your children by design, not default. All right, everyone, welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. One of the things that Melissa and I always talk about that we love the most about the podcast is how much we actually learn by having our podcast and how many new people we've gotten to connect with. And, and I love that. But my favorite thing about the podcast is actually having people on like Garrett, who I already have known for years and I've, I've gotten to experience their brilliance and, and just all that they have to share and being able to now share that with all of you. And I really do consider Garrett like a really close friend. He's been a client of mine, but more than anything, he's, he's a really close friend be kind of awkward right now if he didn't, you know, agree with that statement. Um, but I'm going to say we're close friends. I've stayed <laughs> at his home. We've spoken at events together. We've just really done life together, had our families. Tortured um, you in the gym. Tortured you in yeah. the gym when you were at my Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a CrossFitter. Garrett, like, took advantage of that. Ran me through some gnarly CrossFit workout. Almost killed me in Utah. I couldn't breathe. I was, like, trying to run out there in the altitude. Like, welcome to Elevation and CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like Melissa said, we went to Guatemala together. Our fa- our, our kids hung out and ordered way too much room service probably um together but uh dude we're really stoked to have you on the on the family brand podcast man thanks for having me yeah i almost got stuck in guatemala we went to guatemala on our italian passports and you need a visa to get back to the united states and so they didn't want to let us back in the united states so we had to go to the we had to like navigate this crazy way to get home that day and it was like if you remember it was december so carrie's like i better not be spending christmas in guatemala that is not going to work. I was like, I'm going to put on the entrepreneurial mind here. We're going to ask for some help. We're going to figure it out. And we actually ended up on the same flight as David and Carol, who had gotten married to take a really long way home, but we made it. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. And I actually think that's a maybe a really great jumping off place is this like put on the entrepreneurial mind, you know, and I know you and I've talked a lot about this where, yeah, just have a passion for, you know, all of the things that you and I teach entrepreneurs, but also like, man, teaching our own family. And teaching your own kids. And as you know from the introduction that we just shared, Garrett is, you know, very accomplished at that. Like New York Times bestselling author with the book Killing Sacred Cows. He also wrote What Would the Rockefellers Do? So Garrett, what I would love to focus on, and I think Melissa as well, and and I know it's a big ask, but taking your lifetime of experience and background and knowledge in wealth creation, wealth preservation, if you could like sum that up into what are the things that like we really should be talking to our kids about? Like, and how should we help them think about money? And I know you have an amazing book that we're going to talk about that you've recently written for kids that Melissa has read. But yeah, like what, where would you start? I mean, that's a huge question. Remember, I don't know if you remember uh, when we were doing my origin story, story video and we were in front of this house I grew up in and we interviewed, you interviewed my sons and they were about half the age they are today. And the... And my wife was actually being interviewed first and said, well, there wasn't really a job that Garrett resonated with. So he just created one for himself. And my seven-year-old at the time was like, what do you mean created one for himself? And she goes, well, he's an entrepreneur. And so he just 
made it up and that's what he does. And he's like, that's awesome. I want to be an entrepreneur. So like the fact that we were having cameras and capturing the story and taking my kids to where I grew up, which is definitely, you know, uh, the first town we went to had lost four fifths of its population. The second town was a little bit more stabilized, but you could kind of feel what it was like there. And remember, we walked in the grocery store and people were looking at us all weird, like, what, what is this? Who are these people? Right. And then I just went up and said, do you know Randy Gunderson? And then, oh, yeah, we know. Oh, yeah, I'm his son. And like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, you know, and then all of a sudden we were a little bit welcome. But having that exposure of doing things like that and having my kids there is important. And like having them come to events that I speak at, like my son, my oldest just spent 90 days where I spoke every week over that 90 days, basically launching my book. He went on every single one of the trips with me. So that meant he got to talk to all these fascinating entrepreneurs. He got to see me get up and speak. And he got to take notes and we attended the whole time. And so to me, that was a pretty interesting, you know, education for him. And it was like a really good excuse for us to spend quality time together, right? Share a room, like hang out, which might not have happened otherwise. And he saw that as like a privilege to be around all these great people and learn from them. And they loved it because they started thinking, man, it'd be cool if I could do this with my son or my daughter or, you know, my children. So like they took this extra interest in my son and invested even more time with them. So what I'm finding is, how can I bring them along so it's not separated, right? You guys go to Hawaii, you guys are spending all this time together as a family, which is conducive to having conversations right now. We've asked our kids, we're like, hey, Monday through Thursday, can we just have a family meeting, even if it's short, just to check in at five o'clock. I don't wanna be responsible for getting you there. I want you to be responsible for coming upstairs and being in the meeting because hurting cats is the hardest part of this. I don't wanna get you guys, like, I just want you to take the responsibility and then it'll be a check-in. Like, what, how can we support you? What was good about your day? What are you grateful for? What are we up to? What needs to be handled, right? All those different things can happen in a very short period of time. And when we create those rhythms and we create that space for it, it kind of calls it forward. So yeah, that's a, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it for sure. Like I, I, knowing that I was gonna be on this, I grabbed my family mission statement that we had drafted, but easier is the family rules, right? The, the family values, our Gunderson boys, that we finish what we start, be grateful, love and respect life, be honest, hug and kiss to greet and say goodbye, lifelong learners, have good friends, have each other's back, choose great partners in marriage, support each other with goals, earn our own money, be playful. Like those are, those are a lot easier to remember. I mean, it's not always great because when it was like finish what we start, playing basketball with my youngest son, hurt my elbow because I tried to steal the ball, hit the concrete, I was going to go in. He's like, I thought we finished what we started. So I'm out there with a, with a bruised elbow, still playing, right? And he's trying to take advantage and win that game. That's awesome. What, so one of the things that I wanted to touch on that I think we probably, I know at times I've underestimated, and that is whether you're an entrepreneur or you work at a company, I think it's really important to expose your children to the value you create in the world. Because at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's one of the lessons I've learned and you hear so many successful entrepreneurs talk about is entrepreneurship and money is really value creation. It's like, how much value can I create out in the world and how much value can I create for others? And look, whether you're an entrepreneur or you work at a company, you are, your role creates value. And, and I think when you expose your children to that and they get to see like, wow, look at what my mom does to create value out in the world. Look at what my dad does to create value out in the world. That creates possibility for them. Whether they'll do what you did or not, I think it helps them start to naturally see that, oh, part of the reason we live the life we do or have what we have is there's value being exchanged for 
for money. And I, you know, one, it's just a cool thing to do. Like I've tried to take a lot of my kids on business trips, but I think, it, you know, that I thought about it in a way I've never thought about it before, which is, I think it's really good for kids to be exposed to the idea that their parents create value out in the world. And that makes a difference for people. And so I love that idea of what you've done with your son and traveling. I think too, like the original question was, where can we start having these conversations? And what I hear you saying is, start the starting place would be inviting them into our lives. Exposure. Just, yeah, just starting there with that. These simple things that we maybe think we need to create this grand, big conversation or these big things we have to do, but maybe it's as simple as just starting to invite them into the things we're already doing. Yeah, when I, we went to Spain last year for 11 days, and that's where the most conversations I've had with my kids asking me about stuff. They were interested versus me lecturing them about something or trying to teach them out of context because it's what I want to talk about at the time. They were asking the questions. And so, like, strike while the iron's hot. I'm like, great, this is a great opportunity. We're just walking around. We're sitting down having long lunches and dinners. So it was the perfect environment to be away from everything and have those conversations. So I know that if they're not in the mood to hear it, me saying it doesn't necessarily help. So it's, it's better to, you know, like my wife is just genius at like going on drives with them and staying quiet until they talk. Like she'll just stay quiet and then they'll eventually start talking and she'll just be patient and wait until they, until they open up. I'll like drive and then I'm like two minutes and I'm like, so what are you grateful for? Like, what are you up to? You know, like I, I'm more pushy that what's your purpose in life yeah. <laughs> that's some light conversation yeah that you just described me and melissa perfectly as well we when we were in hawaii in february dude i was just on a roll we went there for the whole month of february and i just like and literally one day we get in the car and i start talking and tanner literally goes oh here we go again another conversations with chris like he had dubbed him like he was like i can't take any more of these like deep he's like can we just drive and just like talk about nothing or talk about anything other than these serious conversations. So I was like, oh man, yeah, I gotta be mindful of that. It's way better if they ask. Yeah, I think the best thing that I've done is bring them along the ride for like really new difficult things. Like I wrote a theatrical keynote and they helped me memorize lines and they watch me rehearse and then, you know, or doing a comedy special and they're there, you know, helping me rehearse. They're watching me struggle at home because I set up a comedy club in my house, which was, like if I was going to do comedy, I didn't want to be going out to, to clubs every night at, you know, at 9 p.m. I mean, that's my bedtime, dude. I'm old, you know, and and I, I so I just was like, OK, from five to six, our house is a comedy club downstairs. But man, sometimes they came down and watched. Sometimes when we're, you know, watching the special, they're sitting there watching it. They're in it. So they feel like connected to it. And they watch me, you know, fumbled my way through and, and have that difficulty. So it wasn't just like, oh, they were young and all of a sudden. Here's dad who's written books and is on stages and it, it seems like it's easy not seeing the struggle, but now they're like witnessing the struggle firsthand. And I remember my youngest saying, I kept forgetting this line in the, in the, in the uh, keynote and he was like, well, you know how I remember lines because he's a really good actor. And so he's giving me advice when he's like 13 years old, right? And it was, it was a great advice. So with that said, one of the things that, so we, we have our weekly family check-in that we do every Sunday, probably similar to yours. And, and we have our individual check-ins with each of them two, well, two on one every Sunday. So we do a family check-in and then we do these individual check-ins and our family check-in is, well, we used to start it off like right getting to business at hand and it just didn't, the spirit of those and the energy of them wasn't great. So we started with, Hey, what are you most grateful for from this past week? 
who did something exceptionally kind for you this past week. So it just gets us all talking about generosity and gratitude and kindness. Then we go into, okay, what's our schedule? And then a question we added recently, which is, hey, is there, is there a problem you'd like the family's help in solving? So you can kind of like brain trust. And we had to be careful because at first, just families are awesome. Like our kids would be like, yeah, I have a problem I'd like help solving. You were a jerk last week. And then it turns into this like fight, you know, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, like, so we had to like give some guidance on this. Like, what kind of problem would you like help solving? And at first, I was missing an opportunity. I realized, Garrett, where I was like, well, a problem I'd like help solving is how can we be more kind to each other? Or how could we, it was like still like familial kind of challenges or issues. And then I've seen, I'll actually talk about real struggles I'm having. Like, hey, a problem I'd like help solving is, man, I have this struggle right now in my business. I don't know what to do. What do you guys think? And one, it's like they have advice for me and insight. Sometimes my kids, it's useful. And two, I recently watched this Instagram reel. I don't know who it was by. It's like, there's a power in asking your children for advice. And obviously you got to be wise in like what kind of problems you bring to them. Yeah, like, but it's hey, actually I'm preparing not, them. Um, said no, and I want to hook up with her. What kind of advice do you have, son? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's like, <laughs> they then get to be like, oh, well, if I ever face that someday, I remember my dad or my mom or someone in my family and so I love that you created that space for your kids to be involved in new things you're doing, watch you struggle, be able to give advice. And I think it's also just, man, we have this family for a reason. We could really lean on each other more probably. We could probably pour into each other more, get advice from each other. So I think it's so powerful too, like you're saying, to let your kids watch you do new things and hard things and struggle because that's what we want for them. It's like, man, I want my kids to try new things. I want them to be afraid, not to be afraid to like struggle and not have that be a reason why they don't go after something. Um, yeah, you, I remember we were at Park City having like, you know, lunch with you guys and you're just talking about, hey, if, if you talk about times you had to be resilient, like there should be a couple dozen stories maybe that, the, you know, the whole family knows about overcoming obstacles and being resilient and struggling. Like, so that, so that they don't feel isolated and alone when they're having their own issues and struggles. So I, you know, I want to do even better at that for sure. I think that's you know, pretty sage advice. Okay. So back to one thing you said that I caught one of your values. I mean, all of them are awesome, but one in particular, given your background and the books you've written, I think it was like, we, we make our own money or we create our own money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, earn our own money. We earn our own money. Tell me, like, what, what does that look like for you? Why is that important as a value for your children? Because you could also just be like, hey, we give you money and here's your allowance. This idea of, you know, we earn our own money. Yeah, tell us more about that. Where we haven't done this properly, when we are last on that, you can feel entitlement creep in immediately. Like, it's, it's so immediate, you know, about, you know, maybe my... My youngest being like, he, he broke his iPhone and he's like, I want to get the newest one. We're like, well, we have insurance. We're just going to get the same one. He's like, why? I want the newest one. My friends have the newest one. It takes better pictures. I'm like, show me one picture you've taken in the last week and we'll start having a conversation. You know, it's like, I'm like, what? you're welcome to get that one with your own money. But obviously this other one broke. Like, why would I get you a new one when there's already a student? Like, so, but I, I can just sense when that's the case. So. We've really been encouraging our youngest, like, all right, it's time to, to figure out how you want to make money. And he's starting to see what his older brother's doing, which is kind of this really, like, my, his brother will probably watch this. He's been mining my videos. He's been watching the recordings of me recording just me coaching someone and looking for short clips to put on YouTube and Instagram, which 
the other day, he was like, you know, dad, like you say, create a life you don't want to retire from. I'm like, damn, he, you know, it's like it's sinking in. He's watching it and he gets paid for mining them, but he also gets paid three times more for editing them. So he was incentivized to figure out how to edit. I work with the editing team. And now that my youngest is like, wait, he's editing videos for you. Why? Like, maybe I want to do that. I'm like, well, I don't have to ask him to do it. He's completely self-sufficient. He gets paid when the edits are done and only when the edits are done. He has to send an invoice. And if you forget to invoice, there are no payments. Like, so he's learned that he has to be proactive with it. It's not, you know, like if he doesn't do the work, it, the money doesn't come in. And if he does the work, the money comes in. And I think it's a good example for his brother, who's, you know, a little bit more creative and chaotic at times. Uh, you know, is that really a job that he wants to do? You know, I've been I've been trying to encourage him. I'm like, you love sneakers. Have you looked at things here? You love, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think outside the box a little bit. But man, I had a business when I was 15, washing cars, detailing cars. And I won business competitions with it. It's how I learned to speak. And it's like I learned how to do income statements and balance sheets, even though they were super rudimentary. It was a foundational skill. And so if they can, you know, if they earn their own money. I don't want to pay an allowance because that just feels like our friend Scott Donald says, like socialism, right? Like, hey, those things are so that you get to live here. You know, it's like it's how you all chip in because I'm chipping in way more than you guys are at this point. So like, where can you help out a little bit? Totally. And tell your son, by the way, I've noticed, I've noticed, man, you're, uh, you're, you're stepping up your game on uh, Instagram with some reels and some content. They look amazing. So tell him he's doing a, he's, he's killing it, man. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I went from nothing to something, right? It's a, yeah. And no, then, then your clips look great and the editing is, is, is awesome. And you know, so we, we borrowed a rule from another family. It sounds so simple, but it's amazing how effective it is. And that is we pay for everything you need and half of what you want. Mm, that's cool. And it's just, it's simple. Like now our kids are sometimes trying to justify what a need is like, no, this is a need. I need those new pair of sneakers. I'm like, yeah, that's a want dude. Like, you know, yeah. and it's amazing how many, how much it actually has our kids think, okay, do I want it bad enough to pay for half of it? And sometimes they're like, yeah, I do. And then sometimes it's like, no, I don't. And I love that. And people often say like, are you, are, do you do that? Like, is, is, your, is that your rule because you're trying to teach your kids about the value of money or how to work hard? And I'm like, no, I actually am trying to teach my kids about value creation. It's not, it's not trying to get them to spend less. In fact, it's like, no, go buy all the things you want and let's figure out a way for you to add value into the world to get paid for something. Because I, if I could have learned that at an early age, instead of being scarce around money, it would have just been like, well, what could I do to create more value out in the world to make more of it and buy the things I want, you know? Yeah, that's, that's the game. If we could get them to understand the value that they can create, the way to develop those skill sets to add more value and to think about how they could serve others, solve problems. Like that, you know, it's relationships and ideas. It's value and exchange. It's not this notion that the world tries to fool them with of it takes money to make money. That's a defeatist statement that gets people to feel like, uh, it's a matter of luck and I wasn't born into wealth. And you know, I, if I only had more money, then I would do this. It's like, no, 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 money's the byproduct. And, and if, you give a, if you get a bunch of money, you, know not, you don't know anything about it, you're gonna give that away in the worst of ways, not for charity, but through the most expensive tuition possible. You know, and that's, that's self-evident if you look at people that either marry into money, inherit money, or worst case scenario, they get the, the lottery. They win the lottery and they lose it life. Because what happens is they didn't know what it took to make that money. That money lands in their lap. And the thing is, when you learn how to make money, you learn how to be a value creator. When you're a value creator, you start to feel a sense of like, 
um, I don't know, like, I don't want to, I want to be careful with the word selection, but you, you, you feel a sense of, there's like a respect for the money where you're like, cool, this is what it took. And now I have it because of that. So it's, it's, you don't want to just blow it and give it away or lose it. Like if someone like, like these people that I met four or five years ago that put money in some crypto thing and it grew and they had millions of dollars and they knew nothing about life. And, they, and it actually was this major problem for them because they didn't know how to handle what they had. And I could see, I was like, there's only a matter of time before they give this away unintentionally because they didn't learn what it took to earn it. It was like hitting the lottery in an investment without understanding why it would work, how it would work, how you would keep it working. And so that's part of what happens with money. It's part of our energy. It's, and, and every time I allocate money, it's not just the money, it's the energy that comes along with that allocation. And every time I earn money, it's not just the money I earn, it's the energy I put out there for that earnings to take place. And one of the big insights I've had in life is in my 20s, I just wanted as much money as possible. Like, and the more, the better. Now I'm going, well, what would I have to do with that money? And if my job has to spend, if I have to spend more time in my life allocating money to invest than enjoying the money, that's the place where the wealth isn't for me anymore. And I have a sense of contentment at that cross section that I would have never had in my 20s. Because, you know, like I have a cabin and I just bought a second one that's close by to put a music studio in. And I'm really clear, I don't want any more. That's like all I possibly want to manage because even if I hire some help, I got to manage that help. And our house is really big. You've been here. It's probably too big. Don't want bigger. But in my 20s, I always wanted bigger. Bigger was better. But see, more isn't always better if it robs us of our joy and the moments. It, more isn't better if it takes us into a place of scarcity because we're like, oh, I got to manage this properly and I've got to take these meetings. I got to meet with these attorneys and I've got to meet with these investment people and I've got to own this next property. And when it happens, it just becomes all consuming at the expense of our family and our health. And yet most people think more is the answer to wealth. And it just isn't. I mean, I know that's not popular in society, but it's just the reality. That's having me think like, yeah, it's one thing to teach your kids value creation, but also these other principles of, and right. Like what are you going to, how are you going to be a good steward of this money? Are you going to do things that really fulfill you? And dude, I remember being like, like you in my twenties and hungry driven entrepreneur. And I was telling this really wealthy guy one time, like, oh, I'm going to have, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have this. And he just kind of smiled and all of a sudden he just chuckles and he goes, you know, I was just like you in my twenties and kind of a cowboy dude. And he goes, and then one day I realized I owned a bunch of stuff and it owned me. And he was just like, I've never forgotten. He goes, so be careful what you own because everything you own owns a piece of you. And I was just like, Wow. Like, and I still made the mistake and I still, I still pursued too much. Oh, and like, like we, we got to learn. I wrote a timeline when I was 18 of wanting to own helicopters and planes and all this kind of stuff. Right. And then we owned a plane and it crashed and killed my partners. Right. Like it wasn't everything I thought it was going to be. It was actually a travesty that happened from it because sometimes we're young, we feel invincible and we just think that the stuff will make life a whole lot better. But you know, like I now drive a truck. I don't drive the Bentley I used to drive because that was always 10 times more management. And if there was one little thing that went out on it, it was 10 grand. My truck never has any problems. I drive it all the time. It's got tons of miles. It makes me just as happy. And I don't have to spend all that time fixing it and focusing on it, right? Like, fine to have those things if you're a car person. I'm just not. I'm a truck person. I like to go to my cabin and throw shit in the back of it. Tell the, tell the story about the YouTube. Um comment from your like the way you tell that story is so funny and i've heard it 10 times and i die every time that how'd you have the realization around the jaguar oh about the bentley like yeah I the bentley sorry the bentley yes yeah, so, 
So first of all, when I took the Bentley to my hometown, they're like, what's wrong with your Chrysler 300? Like the grill seems messed up. Like they didn't know what a Bentley was. And then I remember my partner's like, oh, you need to drive a nicer car on our secretary so we can get high-end clients. And so I'm driving it around. The only people that cared about my Bentley is like 15-year-old and 16-year-old boys. They're like, dude, that's an amazing car. Not a wealth management client, right? Like, I guess we're investing way into the you know, youngsters for the future. And then I took a picture at the Salt Flats of my Bentley with these boots that there was like boots focused and the Bentley in the background. And someone said, this is a pretentious douche. And I was like, you know what? They're right. They're right. And my wife was like, I can't own a Bentley because I was too big of a dick because I, I drove to the Grand America. They didn't park it up front when I valeted it. And I was like, what's wrong with them? And she goes, what's wrong with you? Seriously, this is so stupid. Like, you don't get to own these things because you're just a jackass. So that was, yeah, that's, that's my experience. Yeah, the way Garrett tells it in, the, in his talk is like, yeah, a really good friend of mine one time, a stranger on Last YouTube, stranger. <laughs> <laughs> said, you're, an, you're a real pretentious douche. Um, okay, go okay. ahead, Melissa. I know I, you want to jump in. Yeah, I did have a question about... I know a lot of families are in this journey of maybe they didn't come from growing up, they didn't have money, and maybe they do now. They're wanting to raise their kids in a way where money doesn't feel scarce, and that's not the narrative they want to continue on. But it's hard. It's hard to not continue a narrative that you have believed or had your whole, whole life, particularly in this case, around money. What would you tell someone listening who maybe that's coming up for them? Words cast spells. And the problem is we have adopted a language around money that's charged with limitations, scarcity, and negativity. It's just like this normal thing to say, we can't afford it, even when someone's broken free, they have plenty of money, but they're still using it as an excuse. And so all of a sudden, that starts to permeate the, the minds of, of people around. Is like, And because that's an ex Like, here's two things that are universally accepted. I don't have the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I won't bother you then. I don't have the money. Oh, yeah, we don't want to push you. Like those two things are these great lies that we use to shield ourselves from responsibility and continue to have an excuse to not be the full prosperous people we we're meant to be. So what I really try to do with my kids is just reframe questions like um, when they're like, I really want that. I'm like, well, how could you afford it? If they're like, I don't have money. I'm like, well, what would it take to have that kind of money? How valuable is it to you? Like how committed are you to that? Because if you're willing to commit to that, then you can have that come about like I wrote this money rap or money poem, which was, it's like five and a half minutes long. It's just all the negative words and phrases around money. And it's like all, and it's just like part of society, right? Money walks, money talks, you know, money is the root of all evil, but you know, it's like all this kind of stuff. And so if we start paying attention to wealth being a conversation, and then we just get more intentional with our words. And when we're more intentional with our words, we can start policing each other in a positive way. Like, you know, is it, is it, I can't, I don't, or like, just start being like, oh, there you go. I thought that you were abundant. Like we can, you can joke and tease about it. And I think that it's just important to understand that money is a byproduct, not what makes us valuable. Like this is the thing that I say over and over. Money is a man-made efficient tool to exchange with one another. It represents this moment and accounts for value created from moments in the past. So money represents value, but it's not why you're valuable. So it doesn't dictate your potential or determine your destiny. And so once we understand that and we begin from that place of it's an efficient way to exchange with one another and it's a store of value, but not why we're valuable, 
if you know if you want more money then what does that look like and why do you want it and what does money mean to you and what's your first memory amount around money was it positive was it negative what do people say about money that you've taken on and believed right like i think about things my grandma said i think you know it's like if we start asking about that those conversations become extraordinarily useful because we don't have to have all the answers we just have to have better questions and if we ask better questions around this the truth will surface the kids will understand because before they're programmed into society, thinking that our value is in our stuff, in our net worth, in the boxes we check of being respected, because now, see, in our day, net worth was hidden. Today, social clout is the new net worth. So if someone gets a certain number of likes or they get a certain number of views, so all of a sudden it's like there's, a, there's more attachment to these kind of things. But like we just have to go back to why do we want money? Because we want to be loved. We want to feel safe. How can we feel love and safe without money? And how can money just be part of, of a byproduct of who we are, not who we are? And so, again, it's just asking those questions. I think the most important one is to go, what's your first memory of money? What's your first positive memory? What's your first negative memory? What do you think about money? What do you think about people that have money? What do you think about people that don't have money? Like just getting to understand what their beliefs are versus telling them what to believe. Yeah, I think that's great to ask your kids. And even as you're saying that, I'm like, I bet adults don't realize how much is underneath the surface of their belief about money as well. Yeah, I like writing these books and then getting faced with the very things I write about so I could see just how real they are. Like, it's one thing to philosophically be like, write this book, Money Unmasked. And then the next thing I know, I'm like going through the whole message of the book is ask yourself, what would love do now? And it's like, cool, I went through a business divorce. What would love do now? Because I'm not feeling very loving. And that money that was coming in every month isn't coming in anymore. That kind of pisses me off. Like, so it's like, oh, well, let's deal with real emotions. And that's the thing. It's okay to have those emotions. It's just not okay to bottle them up and then project to everyone else your belief based upon an emotion you didn't process. And so if we look at people's lives and they're judging people with money, it's a judgment they have about themselves. Like, here's one thing I hear all the time. Yeah, money's not that important. I'm like, cool. Well, then you must not have a lot because it's like air. You know, you don't say uh, air's not that important to me. Well, yeah, it is. It's just that if you have a ton of it, you're not talking about it. It's yeah. usually an excuse to hold people at bay. It's not I don't need a big house. I don't need a nice car. I don't need. Well, you might not need those things, but it's OK to want those things. But yeah. we try to suppress that to have an excuse of why we're not further along. And even really wealthy people feel like they should be further along. Like I talked to someone just yesterday. He's got a couple hundred million dollars. He's like, is that enough to work with you? <laughs> like, like, first off, my criteria is not on net worth. It's on, do I like you? That's my yeah. number one criteria. Then number two is, can I help you? And yes, the answer is I definitely can. But, um, but it is amazing that no matter how far people get along, they always feel like someone's got more. Well, what you're talking about, and by the way, one of the things you said that I've never heard it said that way, that's so profound is money is a store of value, not what makes you valuable. And my goodness, if people could separate their value of just well, the reason I have value is because I'm a human being. The reason I have value is I'm a son or daughter of God or whatever, whatever your beliefs are. It's like that. I have value because of who I am. And yeah, my home, my cars, my money, that's a store of value, but it's not what makes me valuable. And not, you know, obviously probably no shock to anyone listening. I'm a huge believer in the power of language and language creates and you can't not create. And so what you're saying is like, I think families might be shocked if they just stopped saying things like, we can't afford that. That's really expensive. Or like want to want to hear, oh, must be nice. 
like a, like those are defeatist, like you said, like really limiting and you just create more of, and here's the other thing. No one wants that though. Like the very people saying that, like we used to say those things, well, we didn't actually want that to be our reality, but we create more of what we don't want by focusing on what isn't working versus like, well, what would it take for us to create the money to have that? What would it take for us to like get committed or how, you know, what, what, what would we be willing to do to add value instead of like seeing someone that has something and being, oh, it must be nice, lucky for them to be like, wow, what, what could we learn from them and what could we create to experience that same thing? But it's just like, you, I, feel, I really believe you have zero chance of changing your relationship with money if you don't change the words you use around it. And unfortunately, you're also probably unknowingly creating a massive story for good or for bad around money with your kids just based on how they hear you talk about it and the questions you ask around it. Our relationship to money is merely a reflection of the relationship we have to ourselves. And our relationship to money is stunted at the level of our immaturity of our most harmful moment of money when we were a kid. So what happens is we mature in so many ways and because we're mature in certain ways, people expect us to be mature in all ways. And so there's this thing that we hide because we don't want people to know, including ourselves, and then we project and defend and make others wrong if it makes us feel like that's threatened. So this is why there's such a huge emotional charge around money. Like, this is the most obvious thing that I could say, but it, I promise you, 80% of the population wouldn't truly admit this if it was one-on-one. -on -one. I like making money. It feels good. I enjoy it. Most people feel shame when they make it, though. They feel a sense of guilt. They're not supposed to like it. They're not supposed to talk about it. They're just supposed to like make a living. And if it's more than a living, then maybe they're being too greedy. Or maybe they're taking more than a fair share because they believe in a zero-sum game. And they think that maybe they somehow have hurt someone else. And I remember people telling me, you drive a Bentley, how much are you giving to charity? I'm like, oh, so you think it's mutually exclusive. If I own a Bentley, I can't give enough to charity. And also that you feel I haven't obligated to give to charity. Because maybe my charity is I do work that really matters in the world and it makes a huge impact. And why do I have to do it the way that you do it or the way that you say it's to be done? See, we place our judgments and values around money on other people and make them wrong for being who they are. And then what happens is we get disconnected as human beings because of those judgments. And again, it's usually because of our own sake of embarrassment, our own lack of healing around something or pretending that we don't have the emotion that we actually have. Why? Because we don't want to feel embarrassed because we don't want to be wrong because we don't want people to know, but what we are speaks louder than the words that we say. And so that, you know, like, why not just be okay with, yeah, when I add value and people pay, you know, I, like I just, I worked with this guy named Scott and he said that it was the, the amount of value he got by 11 AM was point, like 0.001% of the money he spent to get the value that he got. So he's like, I, I'll refer you to everyone. So like, but I'm good with the amount he paid. He's good with the amount. We both won. Why don't people understand that when two people freely exchange, both can end up wealthier? That's the thing. It's only through faulty beliefs and hurts that we actually have this confusion around this topic. And, and you know, I get there's people out there that are deceptive and coercive, but I'm here to tell you, fewer people are deceptive and coercive than are generous and filled with contribution. It's just that the human mind looks at these exceptions to the rule and tries to pretend it's the rule and think that they need to police it by doing less themselves, by earning less themselves, by abolishing the need for money or the want for money or the desire for money. It's like, okay, well, that's like, that's like basically diminishing value creation. 
What's wrong with value creation? Right. It's amazing. This is so good. Yeah, it is good. Hey, I want to jump to your, um, your book. You... Yeah, it's a little easier to read than what I just said. <laughs> no, I love what you just said. And I, um, it's called I Am Money. You, this is a children's book. Have you ever wrote a children's book before? No, and when I tried to do it on my own, it was awful. It was not good. It wasn't, it wasn't my gift. So I teamed up with someone who spoke Kit. Her name's Julia Cook. She's got 127 books out there, over 3 million copies in print. So thank goodness she made it fun. She made it easy, but she didn't remove the depth of the conversation in making it fun and easy. That is a, is a real gift when someone can do that. And she, she, and she pulled all Garrett's uh, very inappropriate off-color jokes out of a children's book. <laughs> like, she's like, okay, let's not have Garrett the comedian write this. Let's just yeah, Garrett the stand-up comedian needs to come out of this book now for children. Okay, there's a couple of my two favorite pages. I'd love to get your direct you know, response to them. Um, talk, so it's all, this book is all about money, and money is talking as if it's talking about it, itself. So it says, my favorite thing that you can spend, spend me on money is you. Invest in yourself. You are your very best asset. Yeah, we, we're, in, we're in a society where I believe that we have become indoctrinated. And the way indoctrination works is through higher education. That the more degrees you have, the more value that you possess in society, which there, when you trade your time for money, you get to continually be on this hierarchy that the more degrees the more that you can bring. And that's the, word, that's the way people think. So most of the way people think about money is those people that went to Ivy League schools and worked for Wall Street know the most about money and they could do better than me. And here, I'm here to tell you, they could probably pass tests at a rate that you can't pass. They could probably quote things that, at a rate that you can't quote. But what they can't do is understand your own abilities and your own values and your own way to add value. But this whole demonstrative structure is to get us to not believe in ourselves and only hand our money to someone else. And what that does is it shirks responsibility and it removes the joy of money. It makes money become something that is purely riddled down to, whittled down to like numbers on a piece of paper rather than experiences with other people. And so I believe that we all have our own investor DNA, our own sole purpose, S-O-U-L, and that if we invest in ourselves, even if we make less money investing in ourselves than some brilliant fund manager, at least we get to be engaged and feel fulfilled and learn lessons along the way. And yet, far too many people just skip those steps and go, I don't know what to do. It's too complicated. I just hand it over. So I want the message to be invest in yourself. Like, what do you want to get good at? What is fun to you? What do you enjoy? What adds more value? What serves more people? Like, don't skip that step. That makes you more stable and secure long-term and more engaged. Yeah, in the book, it talks about you could take trombone lessons or you could do, I don't even remember all the other different little options, but I was like, that's so brilliant. I love it how it just broke it down at that level. Like sometimes I think the words invest in you sounds like, well, what do I do? Like, I don't know, how do I invest in myself? But I like it in the book how it just breaks it down. Like it could be anything that's investing in you and something you enjoy. You're just becoming a better person, whatever you want it to be. Yeah, I've invested in people to help me be a better writer, AJ Harper. I've invested in people to help me be a better speaker. I've, helped, I've invested in, like, what is the career I chose? Oh, it's going to help me do a better job at that. That's what I'm investing in. Emotional intelligence. I've invested a lot in that, in investing in communication skills. So you invest in the things that move the needle the most, right? Some people get a tiny bit better at something and it doesn't really matter to, to the marketplace. 
that's fine. But invest in the things that allow you to become a more um, evolved person and show other people that they can do the same. That's a, that's an amazing game for all of us to play. Yeah, one of the real one of the lessons I've learned, Garrett, in that is sometimes the biggest ROI of the investment you make in you is that you had the courage to invest in you regardless of the outcome that that thing you invested in produced. It's like you made the investment, you probably got the value. It's yeah. Like, you said you were worth it. You just said you were worth it. Totally. And I, that was a huge, the first mastermind I ever went to, it was a two-day mastermind, uh, Genius Network. They're one that's open to like everyone, the annual event. And dude, I'm literally like, okay, I got $3,000 in my bank account. Like I'm on the phone with the lady, like uh, um, Gina at Genius Network. And, and I'm like, I, and I probably wasn't putting it on mute. I'm like, hey, Melissa, did you find another credit card in your purse? Like literally, I think Gina was like, is everything okay? Should we allow you to come? Like, where are you getting this money from? I borrowed some money from a client, scraped together enough to get there. And dude, the minute I did that, I had this really weird experience. It was scarcity leading up to it. And then the moment I did it, I was like, whoa, I felt like this power. And now I can look back and realize it was the first time I ever made a bet on me and my potential. And I was like, I already got the ROI. And I did show up, created two private clients. And that was like, I'm in. Like I, that was the start of my real entrepreneurial journey. So I ask people all the time that we, you know, I, I have some clients that coach with me one-on-one. -on -one, and I'll always ask them, have you ever made a big bet on just you? And a lot of times they're like, well, I've done it kind of indirectly through my business. Or I'm like, just you. And they're like, no. And I'm like, I believe every person deserves to experience what it feels like to just make a bet on them. Well, just from a self-worth perspective, regardless of what it creates. So I, so when I decided to do this theatrical keynote, right, it was a six-figure investment. It was six-figure just for the director and the screenwriter. $500 an hour for the acting lessons, $250 an hour for the, for the movement lessons. You know, it was like, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars all in, and I just performed it for Transformational Leadership Council. And Jack Campbell came up and talked about how there was key elements that were transformative for him. His right-hand person said, best thing I've seen in 20 years here. I, I mean, like Lisa Nick was like, that was delicious. And for me, it was just, I got to be present the whole time and like face the nerves of being in a room that's had just great people on that stage. And it was like, yeah, that was a, that's a full bet on me. I just had a dream one night and I was like, all right, I'm doing this, right? Well, there's no evidence. Like, huh? I can't even explain what it is. Nobody understands until they witness it, right? So it's like, it's just this, but that, that was a bet. I mean, you know, I, 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 I like to co-publish books versus publish. So I have, I'm in the driver's seat. Like, I think that the more we bet on ourselves, the more we can course correct. And the biggest mistakes I've made in my life is going, wanting to shortcut, wanting someone else to do it for me, wanting to get big distribution or, or just have them put me up there. But it's like, I missed the whole joy of the process along the way. And I lose control and freedom. And I think that far too often we want the, the hacks and the shortcuts that actually lead to misery because we don't have that freedom. We don't learn the lessons and we, we abandon the process. See, it's not just the outcome. It's the enjoyment of the process along the way. It's those people that are most miserable that are only addicted to outcomes and not enjoying the work, not enjoying the process. And I have to remind myself of like the process is where a lot of the juice is. It's where a lot of the, where you get a lot of the best moments. And if it's only about once it hits here, then I'll be happy. Then it's always if, then, when, and no, how many entrepreneurs, you know, just blow through the celebration. Don't Correct. celebrate the win on to the next thing and not, they don't enjoy the process. That is a life of misery. Right. And like, I have to reprogram myself because that's all I was in my twenties is 
Next thing. Next. Yeah. Oh, someone's done more. I need to do more. Oh, someone's bigger. I need to be bigger. Someone had to be right. And I just love that, dude. I, I mean, I love that this book, one of the core messages, like Melissa said, is teaching kids at a young age. My favorite thing you can spend on me, you can spend me on is you. It's like, and not just, but maybe even giving our kids an opportunity. Like I'm even thinking, I'm, I'm speaking in an event this weekend where I even bought my own ticket as a speaker because 100% of the proceeds go to a charity. So it's a really cool event. And I think one of my kids is going to come and introduce me and I'm going to enroll them into paying for half their ticket. It would be powerful for them to come anyways. But if they pay for half their ticket, they're like, oh, I, I invested in me. And then me being oh, able to point that out to them. And it's like, so I love this idea of teaching kids at a young age to invest in them. And then I'm also starting to realize like, where can I give my kids more opportunities to invest in them? It's one thing to bring them to an event. It's one thing. It's another thing to like have them be a bit invested and start to experience that at the early I age. Like I'm worth betting on. Pay for what they need and pay half for what they want. I like that that you said earlier. That's, that's, that's okay. Well, dude, this has been amazing, Garrett. Thank you so much. I mean, there's so much wealth, no pun intended, in this. And I love the book. It, you can go on any of the major platforms, right, and get yeah. I Am Money. We'll also link to it in the show notes. Like, I think even if you don't have children at home, there's things that you'll learn about money in a really powerful way. As an adult, definitely for your children, this is like a must read for your with your kids. Anything else you'd add, Melissa? Would you? Okay, wait. Do one. I want to do have one more question. Would you have any final advice for anyone listening as it relates to anything we've talked about today? All this is progress, not perfection. Like I remember getting my family mission statement done and getting my family values set and building out all this stuff. And then people would be like, oh man, how are you so far? I'm like, yeah, I do. It was part of my career. It's part of what I do in my business. And I was like, let me tell you the other side. Like our technology rules, we score an F. We, we post them everywhere and the kids were relentless and we're atrociously bad at it. They just wear us down. I like the resilience, but I can't keep up with it. And and so one of the things that we did that was super helpful is we broadcast one of our family meetings. We broadcast from our weekly family meetings. And so it was, it was, you know, Carrie's still talking to a contractor that's in the house. She doesn't realize how many people it's broadcasting to. I think she thinks it's being pre-recorded. There's hundreds on this thing watching and we're cracking jokes and we're messing around. And like after an hour, we got like 15 minutes of real work done and 45 minutes of hanging out. And so it's, it's not having it all like perfect all the time. It's going to be a work in progress. You know, it's just getting it started. You know, come up with as many reasons to do it as excuses for not doing it. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm a blended family or, oh, my kids are growing up. Like everyone has all these reasons that can't work. And so what I like to do is find the most fun thing you could possibly think about centered around that and just put a tiny bit of like progress in there, a few questions in there. You know, we went to Italy as a family, my, my siblings and my parents in 2019, and I just wrote three by five cards. And while we drove from Naples to Matera, we asked those questions. Some were like, what are your pet peeves? And my dad's like, I don't have one. And then 30 pet peeves later, we're like, pet peeve, not peeves, dad. You know, and then, and, but then we're like, hey, how do we talk about this as a family? And what about this situation? So like we, we kind of weaved it in and out, you know, to, to make it a little bit. So, you know, find what your process is and just do something. And don't compare yourself to, to Chris and Melissa that look like they just came off a poster um for you know for like the ideal family or you know with my family values knowing like hey man we we make mistakes we we've missed family meetings a lot that's one of the things we're really trying to get back on 
on track, but rather than ruminate on what we missed, we're like, hey, we could just start today. And, and, and then we're back in track versus feeling guilty about what we didn't do. Yeah, I'm glad you included that there at the end. That's so great. Okay, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Family Brand Podcast. To say thank you, we have something really awesome we'd love to share with you. You know, we often hear from families who will tell us that they just feel so overwhelmed because of the demands that are placed on them. They feel like they're constantly being pulled in so many different directions and spread thin and they're spending time as a family, but they don't feel like it's quality time. They're not really connected and they want to be more intentional. And we can certainly relate because we felt like that at one point in in our family. And so we created a guide that allowed us to really be more confident around how we spend time as a family and what we say yes to and what we say no to. And it's just brought so much more peace into our home. It's made our lives so much more simple and we want to share it with you. So if you go to familybrand.com, forward slash free, you can download the how to take back your family's time guide. And I can promise you it'll give you more confidence and more peace in your life than your family. One last thing, we feel so inspired when we hear from families that we are making a difference for them. We would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and a review on the podcast so we can reach even more amazing families. We truly believe that the way we change the world is one family at a time.